0: you've got a really good head on your shoulders, so you, you use it and trust yourself. I tend to trust myself. I'm not overly smart. I'm, I'm not the world's best athlete in a bunch of things, but if you trust where you're at and, and trust yourself, you can do remarkable stuff.
1: That is Beau Miles. I'm Rich Bolus, and this is the Dad Mindset Show. Now, I hope you're having a great start to 2023 I've been re-listening to some of the old episodes and I wanted to reshare this conversation with Beau Miles with you because I think there's so much gold in it. I don't know about you, but I find myself at this time of year looking to adventure. Obviously it's summer in Australia, but then in January in general, it's also a really good time to be thinking of different ways we'd like to be showing up in the world and Beau has this beautifully authentic way of looking at life and now parenting. So I hope you enjoy this chat with Beau Miles as much as I did. Beau Miles, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, you're a filmmaker, an adventurer, a writer and recent father. Do you have any hero filmmakers, adventurers, writers or fathers?
0: Yeah, i got lots of heroes. They pop up in weird and wonderful places. I'm often inspired I often think that the most inspirational people are the ones that aren't being looked at Uh, and I think a lot of people would think that too their heroes are sort of unsung Um, but look I suppose if I was to go to people that we know that you and I both know or that the audience does uh, I I love Wes Anderson his films he's a kooky dude and I really (laughs) love his 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 quirk and creativity and his willingness to just pursue these sort of oddball ideas, it's just wonderful. Uh, Life, Aquatic
1: Coppola, is, Life Aquatic is my favourite film of all time. Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's, it's, I, I get caught in a rabbit hole. If you go to YouTube and, and just type in your favourite people and watch and not just their famous things but what other people have compiled of them, it's just great.
1: Yeah. And you were going to uh, say Sofia Coppola?
0: Yeah, Sofia Coppola. I just think um, lost in translation and maybe uh, I, was t- I was talking to someone about this the other day where, you watch movies in a phase of your life or you watch movies and they certainly reflect what you are doing at a certain phase in your life. And I watched that in a time in a packed theater with a great woman and the vibe in there and the, and the, the sort of story resonance of it was, uh, was quite spellbinding. It was quite a cinematic experience and yet it's not an overly cinematic film, but I just thought it was beautiful. And I thought, wow, that's a hell of a script. So yeah, she gets a big nod from me. Um, and then, you know, oddballs like Steve Irwin, I know a lot of people think he was over the top and, and bonkers, but he kind, of, he kind of was the real deal, you know. He was, if America, uh, if Australians to America uh, are most well-known for characters like Crocodile Dundee, I just think he just trumps, them, trumps him by 10. I, it, what a wonderful, genuine character he was. <laughs> so, yeah, they're sort of people that I, I, I like.
1: So those are some of the people that both myself and others would recognize, but who are some of the the heroes in your life that people wouldn't recognize?
0: Um, as in people close to me that are very personal to me, I suppose you'd yeah. say?
1: especially maybe around fatherhood.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, my dad is a real, um, I suppose, inspiration, I suppose, in some respects. Uh, I probably take more inspiration from my mother because I think she's She's gone across. She's gone across boundaries a little bit more, whereas Dad's been a little bit more. Um, I don't know, maybe forthright and a bit selfish with his time over the years, uh, which makes him a particular kind of person and a, and a good role model in some respects. He'd always say, for example, you know, do exactly what you want to do, and it could be anything. Just do it well. And He had a wonderful work ethic. But yeah, look, Mum's a real shining light, and like anyone who's closest to you, your best friend or your wife. Or your, or your parents—you often don't think of them as much as you probably should. Um, I said this morning to a friend too. You know that we were talking about this very thing. I said I was talking to you today, and um, you know, it's it's a bit like air and a, and a juicy apple. You know, you often don't think of just how good a juicy apple is or how good clean air is until you have a bad apple or you go to Shanghai or something. You know, and <laughs> my my mum is probably like that. You know,
1: yeah. Now you said there, uh, Bo, that she crossed boundaries. Like, how how do you mean?
0: Well, she's got multiple families that she's got to attend to. You know, so she's now she, you know, so her and my dad split up when I was five, three, and then five. So she goes off and remarries and meets this this uh, great guy, my stepfather, and then and so she's instantly embroiled in that family. And then there's still my family back here and, you know, with my father's family and her maiden family. Um, And I've just seen her bridge the gap between all of these different families um, and other people's families and other people's sort of step families better than anyone I've I've known because of her sort of – she's almost apolitical, but she just sort of monkey see, monkey do. She just works her bum off and people respect her for it, and so she's become this sort of matriarch figure.
1: Yeah. And you think it is the the work ethic and the the genuine sort of commitment to the people around her that has really made that?
0: I think so. I don't know her in a sanctum like perhaps my sisters do. They probably know more about mum's sort of work in a sanctum, and me being a bit boyish and a bit more standoffish over those sort of adolescent years and early twenties, I was off doing my own thing. But um, I know that her friends value her highly, and I, I imagine that that's the case. Yeah, It's sort of that those strengths of strength of relationships.
1: Yeah. So did you spend more time with your dad then growing up? Uh kind of. Although yeah, I, I went to
0: the city, so I followed mum during you know, during my sort of uh, early teens and then I just missed the country. Um dad was part of that I suppose of course. Uh but it was I I missed just living on the home range rather than the city. The city was interesting to me, but it was never home. It was sort of a place I visited for a bunch of years rather
1: than lived yeah, you, you certainly know where home is, don't you? Yeah. Well I
0: I didn't I didn't so much identify with it then. I was just sort of following my kind of oh yeah, it's, I might just move back to the country where dad is. But it certainly sings home to me now. But uh I love seeing the city and I'm really attracted to its bright lights and its weirdness and, and it's very foreign to me, really, cityscape. And yet you know, I've done lots of travel and I'll always come back to these sort of to country lands or foothills and in the you know between the the surf and the and the mountains
1: yeah now you say that well a lot of your films are about adventure and exploring and stuff are there any particular adventures that you had as a kid that you'd like to maybe do with your daughter or, or or similar sort of themes
0: yeah i definitely um Look, I, I couldn't tell you, I mean, we, weren't, we weren't great ones for family holidays as kids. I can't really remember much about family holidays. There were sort of blips and in there that were, I suppose, holiday-ish. Um, but I suppose I wouldn't mind doing uh, some more sort of rite of passage stuff with May. I'm, I'm really cagey about how I approach the next 10 years of, of being a dad because I just don't know, Rich. I just, <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how it will all unfold and how... Um, influential I am or how much I follow her lead or how much I expect her to follow mine or you know I know that she's got such a strong mother too that when when I take a back seat in in terms of and I'm sure we'll be doing it all hand in hand across the line but she'll take a lot of strength from her mum and some from her dad and they can be quite independent things I think she takes so um yeah I'm not sure how it'll all pan out but I look forward to it (laughs)
1: <laughs> mate neither do i i have no idea it's uh yeah. i think anyone that does have it sort of uh all planned out it's probably uh setting themselves up for uh, a few surprises anyway yeah yeah no doubt but y- you mentioned writer passage and that's something i'm really interested in like what sort of rites of passages do you think do you think i mean have you come up with any ideas or thoughts or seen anyone else do things that you reckon would be really key in in the society we uh, live in today
0: well i have yeah i i um I've mentored a bunch of students through when I was still working at university through their honours or masters projects, and rite of passage came up a few times. And I've done a little bit of reading around the edges of it, but in you know, in its simplest term, rite of passage in my in my mind is to is to help and facilitate people to make their own mistakes safely, in some respect. And so I, I hope to do that with May and to really set her up so that she can make a whole bunch of blunders that are safe blunders that really shape her you know there's a lot of integrity in making mistakes and moving on from it and um yeah you'll get you'll get hurt in particular ways but I don't think they're bad ways either you know that's whether it be a scuffed knee or a dinted pride I, I don't mind that if it's done with with uh, in the right way and once again I'm not sure what that, what that, that always will be but In the practical side of things, I can really protect her and make her make really good physical blunders that I think will shape the emotional stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's super important as well, Bo. And I I couldn't agree more. I think today, more than ever, we, we sort of wrap kids up and they're protected in so many ways. But, like, thinking back, all the best lessons I learned were pretty much when I hurt myself or did something that got me in trouble inadvertently and all that sort of stuff. You kind of, I think you kind of have to make mistakes yourself to actually learn most of the time as a kid.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, look, I've got a hopeless short term memory. You know, me thinking back uh, beyond the ages of 10 or 12 is very little, really. I've got lots of uh, sort of kaleidoscope memories of those ages but uh i do know that my dad set me up to make those exact sort of things so so good on him you know he refused once to drive me to a friend's place when i was i was either 13 or 14 i'm not sure and i rode to my friend's house out of sort of spite for dad it took me almost three hours to get there i barely knew how to get there i'd only ever been driven you know so i had to sort of make it up based on my vision from a card from having never driven one um and I got there, but I, I remember thinking sort of two-thirds of the way there, geez, I hope I do remember this next turn. I know one's coming up, but will I, re- will I recognize it? And anyway, I got there, and I was really empowered. I thought, wow, this is cool. I just got here by myself, and if Dad had driven me, I would never have got that experience.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you said that as well because I remember one of the first journeys I did on a bike, and, and it's actually a straight road. But the way I, I drove it with my parents when I knew I was going to ride the next week, I was trying to remember every turn and bend in the road. And I didn't quite click that, yeah, actually, it's only junctions you have to worry about. And So I was trying to like map out the whole route. And um, it was probably only about 10k or something like that. But yeah, from a, a child's perspective, I was trying to take oh, it in huge. way so too much detail.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's a fantastic thing to remember. Uh, you know, May now... She's our daughter. She's fourteen months old, or almost fourteen months old. And you know, for her to for her to navigate through the house and know where things are, and you say, "Oh, where's your teddy?" and she goes through two and a half rooms to get to it. What a wonderful thing that her little map is working away there, and she locates it. It's great.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And when 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 May was born, you actually said in one of your films that life went up point five. Now, what else do you think has changed, Bo?
0: Yeah, so it's all about time management now in, in a way because, uh, you know, we get 168 hours a week and if you if you dedicate that to yourself, then, you know, okay, you've got some work in there and some play in there and some eating and sleeping and whatnot. When May comes along, essentially you add on half of her 168 hours because, you know, Helen's taking the other half, but you're really you're, uh, you, your life improves hugely because you've got all these more moving parts but of course you've got to be, become a, a time management machine to still continue the things that you think define you etc cetera, etc cetera. so I've just been playing with this aspect of how much time I require to keep bow bow and how much um that has to do with being uh you know I'm sort of a four-day dad at the moment and that's that's exhausting in all the right ways but um yeah I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just sort of learning. I'm back to square one.
1: <laughs> I, I think um, actually it reminds me of your film A Mile an Hour where you actually ran a marathon in 24 hours. Uh, and I think it's probably the best video to start with. Uh, I, I, you've probably got a different perspective there. But uh, you got so much done in that video. How do you reckon that actually stacks up to an average bow day now?
0: Oh, that was cl- clearly a stunt, you know, in terms of what I did between each of the laps. And yet, I'm still trying to cram in those kind of efficiencies, uh, and I'm not—I'm not always good at it. In fact, I'm not—I'm not good at it generally because I take on still probably too much. Uh, this is my second podcast for the day. I'm finishing a book within the next 36 hours, and I'm finishing a film within the next 48 hours. And next week, I'm going to go and run a 210 kilometers on a track that I'm nervous about running. And so, I have a lot of—I have a lot i've checked off on for this next seven or eight days um and i tend to do that every so often that really blows me out a little bit and yet i don't i like being pushed into a corner too i don't mind it at all and that's and as i as you and i touched on at the start of the the chat you know that maybe that's this whole building of resilience is to filter through the good and the bad stresses so and that's always a fine balancing act
1: yeah. Uh, what's the book about, Bo? Can you share that? Anything with us yet?
0: Yeah, The Backyard Adventurer. Yeah, it's it's been um, – and so, look, it really just maps my last five or six years of, of rather than going to the ends of the earth to find myself or find a, a view or to find a, a something uh, – I'm now doing that in my backyard, essentially, almost 100k radius of where I live and pack it all in. You know, I'm still in search of those moments of physicality and challenge and and breakthrough and insight, Uh, but I don't necessarily want to jump on a plane and go far away to do it. Yeah. I want to be close to to May and Helen, but I still want to sort of explore that sense of curiosity.
1: I mean, big gums is a classic example of that, isn't it? When you, you basically camped out in a massive gum tree in your garden overnight.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm lucky. I, I, uh, I the whole reason I bought this little five acre hamlet I'm living on because the the buildings were crap, but the the trees were remarkable though. These big, you know, these magnificent specimens that have been here for longer than white folks have in the area. So, um, yeah, I was very attracted to the block for those trees, and uh, yeah, I thought I'll spend a night on one. I haven't spent a night in a tree for twenty years. Why not? Why not just see what it's like from nine or ten meters up and it was excellent just to be sort of, you know, to be at the unlike a portal edge when you go rock climbing, which is a bit more static. Although yes, the wind will blow you around, but the rock doesn't move. Yeah, the tree moves. You yeah. know, when you when you when you up there, you just feel it, and you really are in the grip of something else. It was it was pretty cool. I didn't sleep much.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned that your legs almost fell off the uh, platform yeah. at one stage. Oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just just readjusted myself and up go the legs and you sort of fuzzle around and you put them back down, very much expecting there to be boards underneath you and there just wasn't. I just was was a bit further to the edge than I thought.
1: (laughs) It's it's a a good point because I was wanting to ask you, has your approach to risk and exposure actually changed at all since becoming a father?
0: Uh, No, a lot of people have asked me that too. I've always been really calculated, I think, with the risks that I take to the point where I think they're quite sedentary. I, I lived for a winter once with the World Extreme Skiing Champion and she was on skis and I'm on snowboards. And I, I can I can hold my own on a snowboard. I worked in the industry for a bunch of years, but she just she would just blitz past me and do things that I could only ever imagine. She was just very competent as a skier. She was excellent. She was sublime to watch. And so her going down a 60 or 70-degree slope in the Alps you know, jumping out of a helicopter was just within her skill set. So we know that risk is a is a potion of competency versus, um, you know. So as your risk risk increases, as your competency increases, so I just always think I've been in the bandwidth of my of my uh, skill level.
1: Yeah, and it's and relative so, to where you are.
0: Totally, yeah, and I, I won't I won't go beyond that. I, I have no desire to be confronted with misadventure whereas I'll, I think a lot of people who do things for the first or, worst or highest or fastest they're 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 operating at a bandwidth I just don't think I'd, I'm bothered with it's just not my thing
1: yeah you've done a bunch of uh experiments as well like you seem to learn a, and you, you say that you learn a lot about yourself when doing these sort of self-experiments like the human being are, are there any things that you've sort of discovered that you think it'd be really useful to pass on to me?
0: Yeah, I've said this also um, in the last twenty four hours to, to in conversations that uh, Rich, I'm hopeless at, at um, advice. i really suck at giving advice because i I tend to tend to stop myself before giving advice because I figure I've figured out a lot of things by myself or just being an observer of people in the world and reading or watching YouTube, whatever. And I think a lot of people have that same capacity. So I don't like to force feed anything or give anyone a list of how your life will be better or fitter or leaner or more adventurous. It's just not my shtick. Um, but in saying that, um, I, I suppose that is my advice, Rich. You know, my <laughs> advice might be very much to be, you've got a really good head on your shoulders, so you, you use it and trust yourself. I tend to trust myself and that's my i'm not overly smart i'm not the world's best athlete in a bunch of things but if you put together if you trust where you're at and and trust yourself you can do remarkable stuff
1: yeah now i well I, I actually agree in the sense that the best advice we were given when sarah and i were about to have our first child was don't take anyone else's advice and uh that sort of stuck yeah from then on so i agree but some of the stories that you tell, Bo, are really compelling. Like I've really, I've been inspired watching them. They're, I think you're beautifully authentic in the way that you come across, and and as you say yourself, you you exemplify a curious view of the human condition. Why though do you describe yourself as odd?
0: Uh, I describe myself as odd uh, because I think in many respects, Rich, uh, we are all odd. Um, so I'm not trying to be special. I've had some advice before or some critique before of people saying, you yeah, know, you're not this, you know, wonderful individual dude. You're a product of culture and society like everyone else. And I know that. Uh, but odd. when I say odd, I suppose I'm saying that I trust myself to be odd uh, or trust myself to do the things that a lot of people think but don't do. So maybe there is a, a slight differentiation there because I know that Having the idea to walk 90 kilometres to work or paddle to work or spend the night in a tree for a 36 or a 38-year-old bloke or a 40-year-old bloke, we might think these things, but we just don't do them. So to, go, to carry them through and, and will it be willing to look like a bit of an idiot or to stuff it up or to tell a bad story, um, I suppose that's where, that's where the oddity comes from.
1: Yeah, it's just basically the guts to follow through. And I suppose that sets a, a brilliant lesson in itself, doesn't it, for your kids?
0: I hope to think so. Yeah, I, I you know, if May, my, this is very much from my father, right? Less so from mum, because mum was is probably more conservative by nature. Whereas dad, he would not give two hecks about what he's wearing, what his hat looks like, what socks he's got on. You know, he's never on trend, ever. Um, at, least, at least that was... I think a big part of his sort of artistic bent, he just thought, it's you know, he trusted himself. He, he thinks he's a great artist and he is. And so he was able to just do those things. Um, so that sort of non-compliance I think was very lovely to the point where you don't think it's non-compliance anymore. You just think it's normal.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, can you actually uh, finish the sentence then? A father is... Uh, a role model uh, uh, that
0: lets you uh, that lets you make mistakes, I suppose. You know, I, I don't want to harp on that too much, but uh, oh, un- you know, there's so much in there that's unsaid. there unconditional love and unconditional uh, listening, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, that willingness for them to make mistakes, I, I suppose, that's sympathetic, knowing that. I've made many mistakes and it's nice when people tell you that's okay. Yeah.
1: Well, um, what do you think is your wife's superpower when it comes to bringing out May?
0: Uh, I will, I really, I really like curiosity. And so I, I will, I hope to think that I will exaggerate her willingness to be creative or want if she wants to be creative. And I I can tell you a small story about I was a camp counselor in in the US for 10 years. I was in a summer camp over there. Went for one year and stayed for 10, you know. And so I remember some, I have lots of wealthy New York and Boston kids come through the program. There's this lovely little bloke called Ezra, his name was. 10 years old, 11 years old, the smartest 10 or 11-year-old I've ever known. He was a little encyclopaedia. He had energy to burn. He'd be up at six and he'd be swimming till late at night and he was just this cool little dude. He could draw like da Vinci. He was remarkable. He would sit down. You know, we were supposed to have a rest hour every day and he would never rest. He would get out a sketchbook and he would draw and he would draw these amazing things. And he loved it. He loved it. And we all said to him, Ezra, you're going to be the next big artist. And uh, he said, oh, I'd like to be, but... my dad and mum want me to be a lawyer or a doctor or something of that sort. And sure enough, that's what he is now. They, they totally steered him away from a creative life and what a horrible thing when I think about that. When he had this huge potential, he loved it. It was a bit of a Zen state for him. It curbed his, his physical sort of or it, it was a uh, compliment to all his physical state. Anyway. My point to that story, Rich, is that I hope to be the person that encourages them to do whatever the heck they like.
1: Yeah. 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 oh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Hey, Bo, how does fatherhood actually stack up to some of your adventures? Oh,
0: look, um, you you hear a lot of people say, oh, Bo, you might be able to go for a big run or a a, a long paddle or you've done a career that's hard. And actually, this this is me just making things up i've never had people say this but <laughs> th- there were whisperings that i actually i did hear some things in the tea room that oh your life as you know it will will change and yeah it kind of has but not the way people imply i actually think that being a father is is super easy <laughs> if i'm just hanging around with may and i'm attending to her needs and we're just hanging out and and i do four days a week i'm with with, with may on her time it's a piece of cake It's the easiest job in the world. (laughs) It's a bloody lot harder working at Monash University where I'm dealing with emails that are stupid and bureaucracies and peer review papers and and things that I only agree with 10% of the time. So being a father is not only, I think, easy when you allow it to be, but it it is a wonderful job.
1: Yeah. I think the time constraint thing is a, is a really key point there because it's so easy to fall into the trap of of fitting into the the schedules of everyone around you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and as soon as you take that that pressure off, it is so much easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think so, mate. Um yeah, it's been uh, it's it's a wonderful ride, and it, she's just she's hitting that stage now too, where the feedback is becoming a lot more. It's not just one way love all the time. It's it's a real relationship that's that's beginning, and uh, so I've got all the the good stuff to look forward to.
1: I suppose. Uh, absolutely, and it's amazing just how quickly. They, they hit those sort of stepping stones, those milestones, I guess and and it 's almost like they download a patch overnight and they 've got a new skill the next day it's absolutely yeah, a fantastic yeah. time to watch
0: Have you talked rich to um to Ben quilty? has he been on your show? no, not yet so he 'd be the man one of the men to get you know he's he 's such a big advocate for for dads and for young boys and for sort of i suppose the um you know, young boys have had a, have had less attention, I suppose, in the last five or ten or twenty years or something. You know, that boys will be okay because they're going to turn into a man, and he's right on the campaign to try and uh, make sure that that's not the case that they are cared for as well as for as much as little girls. I'm not sure if there's ever been a disparity, and I never really gave it much thought until I became a parent, and/or I heard uh, Ben Quilty talk about it. But it's a yeah, I, I must follow it up.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to speak to Ben about that. That'd be great. I think it it sort of touched on a point that one of the previous guests, Mark Smith, um, discussed, which was like he used to teach uh, or take 14 year old and 15 year old kids on outdoor ed um, sort of adventures and so on through schools. And he found that a lot of parents almost throw their arms up in the air when when boys get to fourteen, They're like oh, so hard to deal with. We'll just wait until they hit you know seventeen, eighteen, and you know come back online. But it he he reckoned it was a magical time, and it was really all about as long as you set your expectations appropriately and and know how to communicate, uh, you know, don't try and force a, a certain way onto the boys. You know, there's so much gold there that people are just overlooking.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I, I've heard less about how boys we throw our hands in the air at fourteen than 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 girls throwing our hands in the air at fourteen. So that's uh, good that that's mentioned. And you know we're now in the debate of whether we have another child, uh, and I'm I'm sure we probably will. It's just I haven't got into that mode yet of. of Thinking about number two when one so still
1: intensive, (laughs) but they do get super cute as well. You're like, oh yeah, we could totally do this again. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) You've come through the crucible of the tough stage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start start again.
1: Yep. (laughs) Now, um, you've got some really interesting projects on the go and coming up soon. Um, can you tell us a bit about the the film that you're launching on Sunday?
0: Yeah. So uh, on Sunday online youtube around midday australian time i think uh is uh junk cabin and this is a this was my covid project there's been another few covid projects that will hit the see the light of day but this is the one that's first released and i built a cabin slash office for my wife without her knowing in the first lockdown um now of course i came up with some sort of well, not arbitrary rules. They were very much practical rules based on being locked down and was, it was that uh, I would use whatever is on the property to make the building out of. And I've got a whole bunch of scrap lying around from 10 years' worth of fossicking and, and salvaging off people's whatevers. So, uh, yeah, I made a cabin for, for Helen. She found out halfway through, so that burst my bubble, but that was good. She was able to help with a few design uh, things that she wanted to change. Uh, that comes out Sunday, 20-minute film.
1: Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. And what's been your favourite film to make so far?
0: Uh, I think the most
1: rewarding
0: in many respects in that it was turned over relatively quickly and it's very pretty. I think it's got a beautiful soundtrack, you know, great music to it and some and a really nice sentiment that at first I didn't trust. I thought it was underdone and that's Run the Line when I ran an old train line through the district here that I live. And so we shot that in, in April uh, first week of April last year and, and had it released six weeks later, um, which we're, you know, we could have done it more nimbly too. We were, we we're both working full-time, Mitch and I, my filmmaking buddy. I just think I think it's a lovely film. So that showed at Banff this year and it's doing well online and, and sort of wins lots of awards. And I think it's a, it's a lovely film. It's a good, it's a good watch.
1: Oh, I can't wait. Um, that's the one that I haven't got around to because you've got a tonne um I, I think the last one i watched was the human bean, and that looked like yeah. it was a whole world of pain actually especially the course, you talk about dulling it a, dulling life down a bit
0: oh uh, totally rich you know you i see you through the screen and you're a swimmer and you're a father and you you've got you've got a real vitality about you 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 lose your vitality when you eat something like only beans only which was the point i, I, I didn't have a balanced diet for a point i wanted to feel like a particular way, or at least I wanted to see how I felt by eating only one thing. Um, the film itself was relatively easy to shoot. I didn't do an overly great job of it because I wasn't motivated all the time. I was sort of <laughs> six out of 10. So I shot most of that film, and it was the hardest film that I've ever had to make, too, because I, actually, I didn't go anywhere. It wasn't a lineal thing like most of my projects. It didn't have its own skeleton based on movement, it was very internal. And so to tell that story was tricky. I had to really figure out what the hell the whole point was. And you know, halfway through, I did a, an interview on Channel Ten, and and uh, you know, it was almost a penny drop. I was like, okay, yeah, what the hell is the point of this, Bo? Uh, <laughs> you better get your storyboarding. You know, you better get your pen and paper out, son, because you don't have a story to tell here unless you really pull it out.
1: No, no, I took loads away from it. I mean, I think the, I mean, the key thing was the the fifty k race at the end, but it sounded like you, you, your focus was just drawn away from life and all the fun stuff to just focusing on how bad you were feeling and the frustrations that were sort of building up because of, you know, having the edge taken off everything.
0: Yeah, it, it really did. I just became this beige character that went through life and you get up at a certain time of day and you eat when you're hungry and you go to bed when you're tired and there were no, there were no eights and nines and tens, and only an occasional sniff of a seven. And you'd never dip below a five. You had this bandwidth of life that was that was very vanilla. Um, and it's fascinating to see from. And, and I never knew just how much of an optimist and a, a someone who sort of I bubble along on eights and nines all the time. I have a great life. And to to be not that person, to be sort of subpar, was was quite remarkable.
1: But the thing that. Um... I thought as well was imagine as a kid just having a diet forced on you that forces you into that mediocre zone, and you never actually experience those eights, nines, and tens. Oh, look, we we're, we're take
0: May's just started to go out again. May's just had mum and dad in her face for for a full year of COVID. You know, socially she's remarkable, given that she's only ever had mum and dad really, but. She's gone to play Group for the last couple of weeks or the last month or so, and, you know, we're bumping around with little kids and they're eating all sorts of crap, you know, all this white bread crap with 500 ingredients and 500 numbers and it's half sugar and it's just crap. It's just, it's not food. And I think, you know, that that's a form of oppression too. These kids are going to grow up knowing it, none other and they're kind of chasing sugar the whole time. And the food oppression thing was, was an absolute epiphany and I I explored that a lot more within the film itself and a lot of it didn't make the cutting room floor because it was just too long-winded a little bit too negative and uh, a bit of a rabbit hole too because it's a rich white bloke talking about an epiphany of food whereas really you know I don't know what I'm talking about so um, I agree though. Yep, it's it was a, it was a big breakthrough. Just how lucky I am with food.
1: Yeah, I really like the way you ate the baked beans off the floor as well, like in tortilla flat. You know that that idea, you no, know, for kids, I think of just being able to eat off the floor is completely okay. And uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to that in itself.
0: Wow, yeah. Watch that new that new series about babies. There's a brand new groundbreaking series about babies up to their first year and how essentially so much of their health life. For life is is born in that first one year, and babies that that grow up with a dog and a less hygienic house uh, have a whole lot less medical problems grow in in the future, which is staggering, you know. Um, and I'm not the expert there, but I was kind of I, I felt good when I saw that. I thought oh, that, that makes sense. I've not seen that, Beau. What's it called? It's on Netflix. It's called Babies. And if you watch Babies, um, it's remarkable how little research there has been on babies up to this sort of 21st century stakes and they're sort of starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together that you know what babies aren't these clean and and hygienic little things that we put up in cotton wool they need to be <laughs> sort of rough and ready because that sets them up for resilience and uh they're just starting to understand that now
1: yeah oh that's lucky because our kids don't get much else
0: there you go uh, uh, sharing a hot dog with a with with a dog is <laughs> yeah. better for your kid than not. And, and it, you know, eight out of 10 parents would be horrified if, if someone went and if they saw their toddler sharing the same walk, <laughs> bowl of water with the dog or the cat, and yet it's
1: exactly what they should be doing. Yeah. And running around with eight shoes and socks on.
0: <laughs> yeah. And look, I'm no, I'm no, what's his face, uh, Evans. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no, Addie, you know, I, I don't have any deep seated opinions here other than the fact that I saw this documentary and it kind of makes sense to me that. A grubby kid that grows up at ground level for the first year of his life when it's an inch away from mud and dirt and germs the entire time can't be bad for them in some respects. <laughs> you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. dysentery aside, like it's all yeah, good. That's
0: <laughs> right, yeah. And we're, and yes, we've always got the fallback of antibiotics and doctors, so we can be righteous and pious, but I think there's something to it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree totally with you. That's um, definitely something that we've lived by. Now, um, is there, what's the best way that people can actually find your work, Bo? Uh,
0: YouTube's where it's at now. That's um, uh, Bo Miles on YouTube. That's a ripper. Just go straight there and there's you know there's sort of 15, 20 films up there that will keep you occupied for a few days. Uh, Boism's on Instagram. You can follow me there. I'm pretty new at it and I'm not an over-user of it, but uh, whenever I put something up, it sort of means something uh yeah or jump on my website dot and you can find me there and my book's about to come out so you can if you want something for a christmas present that's going to keep on giving in april next year then then by all means uh yeah so so that's where you find me
1: great and uh just one last question which film would you suggest people start with
0: it's pretty hard to go against the popular vote of a mile an hour. It's been watched by millions and copied all over the world, news for charity events and all sorts of fun things. So a mile an hour should get you hooked and give you a sort of an insight into how my brain works half the time. It's, and, it, and it's a fun romp as well. You know, It's just a dude running around his block for a day and doing <laughs> stuff in between.
1: And it totally inspired me to make a paddle.
0: Oh, and it's a beautiful panel too. You showed me before the show. Mate, it's a ripper.
1: No, there's a, there's a couple more. The kids, I've even got the kids, some, some wood clamped up for them, so they're, they're going to get into it soon as well.
0: Good on you, Rich.
1: I <laughs> no, um, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Bo. I know you've got a packed schedule, so uh, I'll let you go now. But uh, keep doing the great work, and I uh, can't wait to see Junk Cabin on Sunday and uh, see all the, the films that you're going to be releasing next year and your book.
0: Thanks, Rich. Lovely to chat, mate, and uh, best, best with you and fatherhood.
1: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And you can also subscribe to the newsletter by going to thedadmindset.com so you can receive an email from me with all the links and show notes, as well as things I think you might find interesting. As ever, if you could write a review for the pod, sh- pod show, <laughs> um, wherever you listen to your podcast, it would be massively helpful. Anyway, that's all from me. I hope you have a great week and enjoy your caffeinated beverage.